Welcome back to The Trill, a podcast by The Trillium. My name is Aiden Shimandi. I'm a reporter here at The Trillium. Today I am joined by... I'm editor Jessica Smith-Cross. And I'm Peter Smith, the member of Parliament for Beaches East York. And the first contestant into the Ontario Liberal Party's leadership race, which has been heating up quite a bit lately. We're going to start today with a quote from the latest half-entrance, Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie, who hasn't officially launched her bid, but has struck an exploratory committee. This week, she was at Queen's Park and said something rather interesting to TVO's John Michael McGrath. And Nate, we'd like to get your thoughts on it. I think the Liberal Party moved much too far to the left. I think uh, traditionally our roots are in the centre and I'm firmly in the centre. I believe we even govern from right of centre. Should I move forward um, with this bid? You know, I would hope to attract the Red Tories back to the Liberal Party, the Blue Liberals, etc., and let the opposition deal with those issues that are too left of centre. So, Nate, wondering your thoughts on that. I don't believe that we ought to govern right of centre. I'm not going to leave a progressive federal Liberal Party to protect what I would consider an unambitious status quo. So if I lead the Ontario Liberal Party... We won't govern from the center right, and I'm not going to suggest affordable child care is too far left, and I'm not going to block housing from being built. It's big picture issues that we have to address in a really ambitious way on housing, on climate, a really strong economic agenda. And of course, if we're going to advance social progress, it needs to be on a firm and fiscally sustainable footing for it to be lasting progress. Of course, we need a strong economic agenda, one that includes child care, by the way, but we don't need a center right government. We we already have one. I'm intrigued by you bringing housing into this. Does housing belong to the left or the right? So it's interesting because I think uh, if we are to consider where the Liberal Party went wrong in the past and we think about getting back to the center in my travels, what people really emphasize is the need for a really strong economic agenda. And what I find so interesting about housing is it is not only about generational fairness. And of course it is about generational fairness. If you look at 1976, it used to take five years for a a young person working a typical job to save a 20% down payment. Now it takes 22 years across this province or 27 years in the GTA. So it's obviously a generational fairness challenge, but it is also an economic productivity challenge. And we need a serious economic plan to address productivity and improve people's lives. And housing is a big part of that. And when I look at Mayor Crombie's record, if she's going to run as a center-right candidate, and she's going to want to have a strong economic agenda, one would hope she would have a track record of building a significant amount of housing to address productivity, and and she doesn't have one. So the areas where I do think we need to lean into a really strong economic message, it's around productivity. It's not to suggest we need to reduce spending in health and education and and childcare. So, Nate, we're talking about governing from the center right from that uh, Crombie quote. And one of the things that you said in your answer was, I don't think affordable child care is too far left. I don't want to block affordable housing from being built. But, you know, surely you're not running for the leader of the NDP. So we're wondering if you can kind of give us an example of some policy that you think potentially would be too far left for a, a Nate Erskine Smith led Ontario Liberal Party to pursue. For me, it's about the seriousness, credibility, and fiscal sustainability of the policies that we propose. You can't back the napkin promise absolutely everything and not have a plan to pay for it. You can't run massive deficits and accrue additional debt if it's not for capital infrastructure or or for an emergency. 
And we obviously saw both the provincial government and the federal government struggle with this over the course of the pandemic because it was truly an emergency. But otherwise, if you're looking at let's let's take ODSP as an example, because I think it's really important that we increase ODSP. And that would be a, a, a you know common ground in many ways is between the Liberal Party, if I were to lead it, and the NDP. I think the difference would be how do we go about in a really serious, credible way delivering on that promise? This isn't back in the napkin math when the NDP promised, for example, dental care in Parliament, that promise ballooned from $5 billion to $13 billion because it hadn't been costed in an appropriate way. And so I, I would say there are many shared priorities. I see a major difference in how we go about delivering on those priorities. I would also say when I think about, you know, and I, and I don't think there's, you know, the, the center can shift. I, I found on mental health and addictions that shifted significantly. I used to be seen as more of a radical on drug policy reform and the cops and medical experts are all saying the same thing that I said five, six years ago. But I, I would say on housing, I, I, I think we would differentiate ourselves uh, to a significant degree because not only do I want to deliver deeply affordable housing by using public lands in an appropriate way and by looking at building social public co-op housing, but I think what would set me apart in serious ways, I don't think development is bad. I don't think I don't think the anti-developer narrative is particularly helpful. I think it's incredibly important that we build market supply to deliver the kind of housing that we need all across this province. And market supply is going to be a huge part of that, just as a more deeply affordable supply is going to be a big part of that. And, and we need both. And, and we shouldn't vilify developers. We should make sure we have smart governments in place, serious governments in place that are putting credible plans in place to end restrictive zoning and to build the kind of supply that we need. But, uh, but I, I think there are going to be many areas as between a party led by me and looking at the NDP where there will be many shared priorities, but we will do we will deliver on those priorities I think differently. I think we would bring a more serious, credible plan to, to, to the fore, especially to make sure it's it's costed and it's fiscally sustainable. And I, I, I don't want to see the economic agenda to Doug Ford. I think both the NDP and Liberals have ceded that kind of ground on building infrastructure, support of trade unions. I, I think we have to get back to basics in that way. And we have to re-own a really strong economic message if we're going to be successful. If this race shapes up in a way where She's on the right of the Liberal Party and, and you're on, on the left. Is this going to be a challenge for you? I find that people tend to associate the more progressive side of things with being more expensive in their day-to-day -day life and the, the right side of things, making life more affordable, which by all measures seems to be the key political challenge to most people right now. Do you think that's true? No, because I think an affordability message is just massively important especially when it comes to housing and a really progressive serious government that cares about productivity that cares about fairness is going to deliver really ambitious housing policy i am going to i've already in the course of both the exploratory process and now entering the race i have spoken about the need to deliver a really ambitious housing agenda and we are going to put together and deliver in the coming weeks a really serious plan on this front and when I look at you know, potential opponents, opponents in this race, and I think about track record on housing, I don't see the level of ambition that I want to see in municipalities and in the province of Ontario that we need to see. We've got enough of an imbiism. Our province can't afford it. And so I, I think on a question of affordability, 
There's a way to address productivity and also to deliver affordability at the same time. You look at climate action. There is a way if you seriously invest, invest in, in on the infrastructure side, on the clean energy side, which is absolutely essential. There is a way to not only curb emissions, but to create jobs, good paying, safe union jobs, as we're doing federally with our tax credit investments, and also to make sure that we are doing right by our kids, but also reducing bills at the same time. And so that there are... There are many ways to deliver an affordable agenda that is also incredibly consistent with one that is fiscally sustainable and that is progressive at the same time. And I'm wondering if we can move now to a quote from your campaign launch video that I think you know kind of sets the stage for, for a few questions. So the quote is, remember where we were 10 years ago, a liberal party in third place in need of generational and grassroots renewal, a frustrating and cynical conservative government. So you were obviously elected in federally in 2015, which saw you know a really different liberal government come to power than those we had seen in the 90s, early to mid 2000s. And Justin Trudeau was was really open about his progressive politics and breaking from that past. People on the left, I think, certainly don't see the federal liberals as as very progressive. So I'm wondering if we could kind of take a minute to tease out what the words liberal with a small l and progressive mean to you. Sure. So I think it's incredibly important that we look at competence, compassion, and integrity as the values we carry through, which I also spoke to in, the, in, in, in our launch. And we have to deliver a strong economic agenda, seriousness and thoughtfulness in the way we go about delivering on big picture challenges. We also, though, need to make sure we don't forget about fairness and dignity and compassion for those in need. And, and, and we don't ignore the most vulnerable. And if anything, you know, when we invested in the Canada Child Benefit, that was an incredibly progressive policy. We lifted over 400,000 kids out of poverty. And by the way, at the same time, we used tax dollars incredibly efficiently because we stopped spending money on families that were earning 500,000, a million dollars, and we targeted to those in need and the return was greater. And when people are out of poverty, it's a good thing on its own as a matter of dignity. It also means that they are more likely to succeed in school. They're more likely to succeed in securing a good paying job. They're less likely to impact our healthcare system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? There, there are huge returns when you invest in the social determinants of health. And so I think there are, when I think of the federal liberal party's record and you look at a record on curbing climate emissions in a serious way, it's not perfect. I, we can you know, we can have a long chat about TMX and, and I think the waste of public expenditure there. But at the end of the day, we've had a really serious, credible climate plan that we've delivered on since 2015. And we are one of the only countries in the world to, to take that amount of action over the last seven and a half years. You look at the poverty reduction I mentioned, you look at advancing reconciliation, you look at the uh, run down the list of uh, impact support for families, especially on childcare. And they're incredibly progressive policies that are also improving people's lives. I, I was at a, you know, in, back in January at a levy and a woman came out to me and said, you know, I used to be spending thousands of dollars on childcare every month and you've cut it in half. And like, it's, it's the biggest, I, I've never felt that kind of a difference in my life by any government. And so I think there's a, there there has been a way federally and i don't promise i don't propose that everything has been perfect but i think we ha we have had a progressive albeit imperfect federal liberal government show me a government that's perfect but we've had a very progressive government that's made a huge difference in people's lives in a positive way and i don't know why we'd want to run away from those policies and we want to why would we want to run away from childcare? it's it's both 
uh, a way of delivering affordability. It's a way of improving the lives of families. And it's also a way of improving and advancing our economy at the same time, increasing our productivity. So, so yeah, that's that's something I want to pick up on. Like, how much of a challenge will differentiating yourself from the federal Liberal Party be? Like, like, to, and to what extent is that something you're even trying to do? I can point to any number of ways that I've disagreed over the years, and what people know me best since 2015, and especially as I'm traveling the province, is I've brought a sense of independence to the role. I've done politics differently. If you remember, ten years ago. When Justin Trudeau was running for leader, he said, I want to empower communities by empowering parliamentarians. I want free votes in the House of Commons. I want that sense of doing politics differently and generational grassroots change. And that's partly a big reason why I left law for politics. I was really frustrated by Stephen Harper and that cynical politics of coming up with ideas to serve elections when it's elections that should serve ideas. But I also really bought into the promise of doing politics differently. That's how I've acted over the last seven and a half years. And on the big picture, pieces that we've been able to deliver, I've been supportive, but there are areas where I've disagreed, areas where I've disagreed because I didn't think we were doing enough. And so, you know, on the opioid crisis, for example, I've been critical and pushed the government to go faster and further. On climate, I've pushed the government to go faster and further. In other areas, I've advocated for complementary policies. The Canada Workers Benefit, for example, I really pushed on, and that was complementary to the work to protect seniors from poverty and, and, and families with kids from poverty. Um, and in other instances, I've disagreed just flat out, but from a more fiscally responsible lens. You know, when we matched Andrew Shear's promise to increase the basic personal exemption for amounted to about a $6 billion hit on an annual basis, and, and it was deficit finance, that was not the greatest expenditure, all things considered, because, uh, you know, it should have been paid for. And so, you know, I, I've, I've not been shy about telling it like it is. And, and my hope in this is to show people that politics can be done differently from a, a leadership perspective, but also to bring a lot of serious people out of their own professions into politics. Because if if you are going to leave pay, family, and privacy to make a difference in politics, and I think it's the best way to make a difference, you're going to have to keep your own voice or why are you going to leave pay, family, and privacy? And so I think there's a, a, you know, that commitment to seriousness in our politics is, is one I want to deliver on. I've always been curious, do you do you like the Maverick label that you've been given? I mean, from a shameless politician's perspective, it doesn't hurt sometimes, but I I don't think it accurately summarizes what I've set out to do. I mean, I've never disagreed with the party on platform promises. You know, I might, you know, I mentioned disagreeing on the basic personal amount. I, I didn't vote against that because it was a platform promise. You make a platform promise, you're there to meet your promises and deliver on promises. It's a matter of honesty and a matter of integrity. So I, I've never disagreed when it comes to charter and human rights issues. I've never disagreed when it comes to confidence or budget matters. You know, I, I had misgivings about the way we went about the Emergencies Act, for example, but I voted in keeping because they made it a confidence vote. So, you know, there's a way of helping to shape the agenda, a way of disagreeing, making the disagreement about ideas. I don't feel like I've ever been so much on the outside screaming in. I mean, I've built coalitions inside of caucus across the aisle to help get things done. So I, I, I see it as, yeah, I see it more as constructive dissent in some ways, as opposed to being a maverick, which suggests I'm, I'm out there on my own, maybe twisting in the wind. Uh, whereas I've had a lot of success in building coalitions inside of caucus. So Nate, we want to pick up on this, this maverick or I'm 
the the term that you use to describe yourself is is slipping me right now. But um, in a in a recent interview you gave with TVO, you suggested that platform commitments and confidence votes are are two places where you'd expect you know kind of full caucus cohesion and and whip those votes. But I'm a little bit more curious about your approach to things that you know don't necessarily fall within those two categories, but are super important nonetheless. Something that comes to mind is the Bill 28 in Ontario, which was legislating striking teachers back to work. You know, an issue that was not a platform commitment that will not lead to the government's downfall, but is a serious, serious issue. So would you whip those kinds of votes? So I think it's interesting because there you're delving into charter rights issues, potentially depending upon how the legislation is drafted. And so I, I do think if we are in opposition and the Ford government is putting forward obviously unconstitutional legislation that is an attack on workers, then I think it's incredibly important that we all stand united in support of the charter and in support of charter protected labor rights. It can be more complicated, of course, because the charter can be, you know, there are limits on those rights in a democratic society. And so depending upon how the legislation is drafted, the answer could change, right? And so it's the same thing on, a, on a assisted dying or on, you know, in that debate, the government was of the view that the legislation they drafted was constitutional. I felt it wasn't. And so I was motivated to vote differently on the basis that I didn't think it was constitutional. So I, I would want those in my caucus to feel the freedom if they felt something I was doing or that the government was doing was unconstitutional. They should, of course, have the freedom to vote differently. If on the, on you know, conversely, if there's a piece of opposition legislation, say, let's pick on some federal conservative backbenchers who raise abortion issues every once in a while. I mean, there it's incredibly important. That's a charter issue. It's a human rights issue. And there's got to be unity to protect and defend charter and human rights. So I think there's three lines that make the most sense, you know, confidence, Confidence is actually probably the hardest one because governments can impose confidence. So in part, there's a rule there. In part, it's the culture that really matters. And I would say the culture, as I think about it, the culture, I would really, and I think to Trudeau's credit, they haven't really imposed confidence votes often over the seven and a half years. I, I would want to pursue the same kind of culture. Budget matters would be confidence, but otherwise, I very few, if any, things would be confidence. It would be traditional confidence matters. Uh, secondly, though, on the culture. I think it's very important that we encourage people to exercise their voice. This isn't like a rule that's on the books, a commitment that we make in a, in a leadership race or an election. And then, oh yeah, but we said that, but come into the whip's office. We really want you to vote this way on this private member's business. And we really want you to vote this way on this government piece of legislation, even though it wasn't part of a, an election platform. And, you know, if you don't vote this way, there might be consequences. And here's the white piece of paper and the government bill kit, and we're going to take a strong position on it. I think there's a way of doing politics differently where if it's outside of the government's core agenda, if it's outside of the promises we made, if it's outside of confidence matters and budget matters, if it's outside of charter and human rights matters, there's got to be an encouragement to, to, for that free thinking and, and to be strong voices on behalf of our respective communities. I was uh, really interested to know if you were going to run in the Scarborough Guildwood by-election, mostly because I like whatever outcome leads to the most interesting news for us to cover. And I thought that would have, been, <laughs> would have been interesting. But I take it you've decided not to. Uh, can you tell us what those calculations were? Well, why not? So my initial instinct was to give it serious thought because 
I am convinced that this is where I can make the biggest difference. And I am motivated by that core question. How do you make the biggest difference? And it's why I left law for politics fundamentally. And it's why I want to leave federal politics for provincial politics now. I think I can make the biggest difference helping to rebuild the provincial liberal party. And so being in the legislature, focusing 100% of my time on provincial politics is appealing to me, given this is where I want to make the biggest difference. You know, I've got a bill at the health committee right now. I'm on the industry committee. I've been vocal, you know, especially around competition and defending consumer rights in the telecommunication space. I have just gone through, we went through the budget process where I was quite active. So, you know, I still have to wear two hats and it can be quite challenging. Uh, And I, you know, I want to do right by my constituents so long as I'm in federal politics. And so I gave a serious thought and then the timing is just tough. And I, I don't know if you guys have a different view of this, but the by-election is going to happen right smack in the middle of the leadership. The leadership race isn't very long, all things considered, to travel 124 ridings and sign up as many people as we can to register to vote in this process. And that is how this process works. People have to register to vote. We have to be, have to be on the road finding liberals, engaging liberals, engaging new people who don't, you know, who aren't yet uh, registered liberal and, and, and registering them so they're eligible to vote in this process. And I've got to focus on 124 ridings, and I've got to focus on rebuilding the party everywhere, not just in one riding. So where do you think you're eventually going to run? I will, if I win this race, I will run in the first available winnable riding. I I don't think the leader can be a distraction. I I think it is important for the leader to be in the legislature as soon as reasonably possible, although fairly, we only have now seven seats and the leader really ought to be on the road as much as possible and building the party everywhere because we're not official opposition. We don't have the time allocated to us in the House to, to play the same accountability function. But... I do think having seen what I saw in the last election, you don't want the leader to be a distraction. You don't want the leader to be at risk. And in a perfect world, I, you know, if, if you're asking me, uh, do you want to run in Beaches East York? Sure. But Mary Martin McMahon is a great MPP. I hustled incredibly hard and she hustled even harder to make sure she became an MPP. I want her to stay an MPP. And so my own riding is taken. So I, I will, if I, if I win this race and I'm the leader, I'll, I'll find a different one. So this kind of dovetails with our next question. Um, you've been in dozens of ridings across the province in the last little bit, including tons in the north. Yeah. So Bonnie Crombie obviously has a big, big brand in Peel region. Yasser Nakvi, who has not officially jumped in the race yet, but you know, uh, well, likely is has a big brand in Ottawa. Is, is this emphasis on the north an explicit choice on your part to kind of try and make that mate country? It's interesting that you describe anyone in provincial politics as having a big brand. Justin Trudeau has a big brand. No one else in Canadian politics really has a big brand. The Fords have a pretty big brand, largely because of Rob, not Doug. But I don't think anyone in provincial politics otherwise really has much of a brand, all things considered. So I always laugh when people talk about sort of name recognition in this space because we all have to hustle to earn name recognition. So there are two reasons, really, when I when I thought about running, I thought about how I wanted to run. And when I ran in my own riding back in 2013, I, I took a really grassroots approach and, I, and, I, and I've taken the same approach ever since. I've been actively involved in my riding association. I attend the me- regular meetings. I, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged with and connected with people on the ground here. And if I'm going to do this seriously, there is no substitute for the hard grassroots work of traveling the province and building a team absolutely everywhere. And when I was asked about running back in September, when I was at a New Brunswick caucus retreat, I said, yeah, I'm seriously thinking about it, but I've got to build a diverse team, a team that reflects the geographic diversity of this province if I'm going to do it right. And there's, you know, you can talk about 
is the party too left? Well, I think the real criticism of the Ontario Liberal Party from people outside of the GTA is that it's been too GTA focused. And so I, I was maybe overly sensitive to this idea of, you know, I might be able to tell you a story. My, you know, my dad's from Windsor, my mom's from Hamilton, my grandfather and uncle who are past now were on Mantulan Island and my wife's from Kamlaki in Lambton County and my father-in-law is still on the farm, which has been in the family since 1834. But I'm East End of Toronto and I went to school here. I grew up here. I played baseball here. I now represent here. I, I'm raising my family here with, with, my, with my wife. And so I really started this conversation and, and, and process and, and path thinking, I'm not going to do this if I can't engage and, and build support absolutely everywhere, especially in rural and Northern Ontario. And so I've done six tours of Northern Ontario now. The last tour was Timmins, Capscasian, and Moonbeam. And I have a really strong team in Northern Ontario. And I would say of all the candidates so far, I think we've got the strongest team in Northern Ontario. We have a really strong team in Southwestern Ontario. We also have a really strong team in the GTA. This is about building a really strong team absolutely everywhere. And we have to re-engage absolutely everywhere and build an active presence absolutely everywhere. And so, you know, part of this is about the direction of the party. And, you know, you talk about a center-right party. I'm not going to run a center-right party for sure. So part of this is a fight for the direction of the party. Part of this is how do we sustainably and seriously build a party for the long term in a grassroots way that builds, I think, a movement centered on the possibility of politics? Because I think it's the most important way we can make a difference in the lives of those around us. And I want as many people across the province to see it that way and to participate. Because if you want better, the answer is participation. It's uh, getting close to wrap up time here. We don't want to take too much of your your time today. So we'll end with this. Uh, Last we heard, uh, you were going to choose whether you would resign as an MP over the summer. Has anything changed on that? Do you know any, can can you tell us any more about what will go into that eventual decision? It's a good question. And it's one I, I am thinking through carefully. And so I, I, I'm, I've got loose ends that I want to tie up before the end of June. There are a few pieces of legislation. There are a few advocacy, advocacy pieces that I want to see through for sure. And I continue to raise with different ministers offices. And I'm cognizant of wanting to make sure that my constituents have someone who is there for them when they need an MP to be there for them. And I'm, you know, having, this is my community. I want to make sure it's well served, whether it's by me or by someone else. What will go into that decision? You know, when I was a commercial litigation lawyer 10 plus years ago now, 10 years ago now, in the 2013, 2014, I was running the nomination and I was able to balance the work and it was really hard. I didn't have kids then, so it was more manageable, but I, it was still a hard balance and that my bosses were great. I probably didn't bill as much as they wanted me to bill, but they were still very kind. Come election time though, so I won the nomination December, 2014, and I went part-time. And I remember in the spring of that year, in, in March or April, thinking every minute I'm billing a client, I wish I was knocking on a door because I'm all in. This is what I truly want to do. This is where I can make the biggest difference. I'm fully committed and I, I, I can't be distracted. And so just knowing myself and, and having had that experience, if I wake up in September and we've got you know, the membership list closes September 11th and then it's a full on persuasion campaign from there on to November 25th, 26th, am I going to be thinking, ah, I've got this issue I've got to deal with at the industry committee, or I've got this issue that I've got to deal with. And, you know, it's a, a small business owner in my riding who needs help with, you know, accessibility fund or whatever the case might be. I've got amazing staff in the office, but I also, I, I don't want to be 
distracted from the leadership race. And I also don't want to be distracted from the role of being a really strong member of parliament for my community. So I'm going to make a decision over the summer and, and, and figure it out. But I, I, either way, I'm going to make sure that my community is well served and that I'm able to do this with the, to the fullest of my abilities. All right. Well, I think that's uh, as good of a place as any to wrap. Nate, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you both. Listeners, tune in again in two weeks. We'll see you then.